I was laughing before my grandfather even got to his famous punchline. He was telling one of our favorite stories of how a man sold this guy the Golden Gate Bridge. And I loved it. And so I wanted to talk to you guys today about gullibility. This is Michelle Spive, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So you know what to do. Keep listening, and I'll see you on the flip. As I was saying, my grandfather would tell us this story, and it never got old. And his punchline was so fun because it was so uncharacteristic of my grandfather, how he changed his voice to uh, deliver it in the the poor victim's words of um, how he got duped for buying the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, today I'm going to be talking about something and I'm going to be doing it in parts because it's a lot. I have been wanting to share this for a while um, because of uh, how deep the rabbit hole goes for my studies and how I've been learning this stuff. Like I said before, I am researching some books that I'm writing and it just gets to be more and more detailed. And so I, I definitely want you guys to stick around for this. As of right now, I'm only planning on this to be part one and part two. So stick with me and I promise you, I am going to give it to you and give it to you good. So today I am going to be talking about gullibility or how I'd like to think of it as the gullible con and um, understanding this this big thing that we have um, that we're in. So Yes, I definitely have some books that I have uh, been using and I'm going to share them with you. Um, I'm going to even put in a uh, YouTube video that you can go and watch for one of the people that I'm going to be talking about and just bringing in some other things that I think is really going to be enjoyable. So y'all stick with me and geek out with me, okay? So uh, I'm going to kind of work back a little bit on this and that is... When I uh, was uh, starting to understand how to be online and how to make a living online, I started learning copywriting and how to do internet marketing. I already had the corporate side of marketing in my training um, in, in undergrad and even in my work, but it wasn't until I came over to the internet side that things got to be deep. I mean, even in my master's programs of studying this stuff, I still did not get how it looked in the wild. And I'm going to tell you, there is a difference between classroom theory and real world application. So going back, I'm thinking about my grandfather telling this story of um, the Golden Gate Bridge being sold and uh, how we would laugh and we would think, oh, well, how would anybody fall for that? And it wasn't until I was reading um, up on uh, internet marketing and how to do it and how to not be a sleaze about it, because that was one of the things I didn't like. I didn't like how manipulative people could be. And I'll even tell you, one of my first products that I ever put out was called Prime Influence, and it was teaching people how not to be duped on the internet, because I I was so disgusted by what I saw. 
But even even so with that, I ran into people that would go on to help me uh, get my arms around how you can't really solve it. You, You can't really solve or put an end to gullibility. And that's because of certain inalienable rights we have as human beings in commerce and in capitalism to do what we do best. And that is to find the deal, that is to uh, find the come up, the hookup, the shortcut and all of those types of things. And my grand, right in my grandfather's story uh, contained the elements that I will go on to learn are prevalent in everything we do. And that is for a shortcut, an easier way, a a push button process, a one, two, three, a get it done in this amount of time kind of thing where you're all, we are always outsourcing everything we can, but trying to only have in the, um, the resources and the, not the resources, but the rewards of this outsourced activity. Everybody wants the easy road. You've heard the saying, there is nothing free. You are going to pay one way or another. Everything has a cost. Everything has a cost. So I took all of uh, what I knew from uh, my formative training days um, in college and then what I knew of corporate America when I was starting to make my first foray into online selling because I had to, I've only hired a copywriter once in my life uh, for online. Everything else I, I do myself in, and it is because of learning these things. So let's get to the get down. So in this first part, I'm going to be talking about the... Um, people uh, that uh, help to shape this field and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in the second part, I'm going to be talking more about us and how it uh, how it affects us. Now, there's going to be some crossover, so don't worry. Okay, so but today I'm going to be talking about that. So you would think that it would start with um, consumer behavior psychology, and you would think it would start with uh, some of the other books I've mentioned in the past, like um, uh, Robert Caldini's Influence, uh, The Art of Persuasion, those types of things, but it doesn't. It goes further back than that. Actually, it goes from to the beginning of time. I mean, I can talk about um, scriptures, Confucianism, and all of these different things that warn of this of this stuff that we're talking about, and that is the gullibility of people. Uh, there, uh, I, I can't really uh, put my my exact finger or mind on the statement, but I can tell you the gist of what Barnum Bailey, Bailey would say in his Humbugs book, and that was, you know, not the sucker is born every day, but it does go towards that. But he talked about how there is a mutual con trying to go on whenever people are engaged in some type of transaction or commerce. On the one side, the vendor is trying to get the best price and possibly get the best price for the least amount of service or product that they can. On the other side, the customer is trying to dupe or get one over on them to get the best stuff for the least amount. And so when you have people that are trying to buy the Golden Gate Bridge for a little bit of nothing, when they're trying to circumvent um, the rules of commerce and the laws of natural and uh, spiritual existence, that's when you fall into these cons and these gullibilities. Um, 
like I said before, P.T. Barnum went on to say and uh, um, in a lot of his annals and his trainings that he said, if you want to uh, make a lot of money, find those lazy people, which is the average person, and sell them what they want. And that is to be duped. He said people want to be duped because they want to believe that life is really not like it is. They want to believe that you can get something for nothing. They want to believe that it does not take a lot um, for you to be able to uh, gain a whole bunch. Um, in his book, The Fast Lane, um, and uh, I, I'm like I said, I'm going to put a lot of these links in um, in in the description by uh, M. J. DeMarco. He talks about this as well. I mean, over and over again, I keep seeing it. So, uh, the uh, the Millionaire uh, Fast Lane by M. J. DeMarco, a great book. You need to get it. I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna put it in the in the notes. Um, he talks about how uh, most people will give you a lot of money to to do the same thing that P. T. Barnum talked about, and that is to circumvent the laws of life. They want something for nothing and they continue to buy the same story over and over again. And that is that you can surprisingly do something with a push button and then all of this money starts coming back to you. And when I started seeing this over and over again on the internet and people selling the same story over and over and over again, I was like, something is not right. Why can't we see this? And that's when I started um, diving into this um, notion of the gullibility con. Okay, so um, in The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco, he uh, talks about competition. He talks about uh, uh, the barrier to entry. And he talks about how uh, if you're going to do this, you've got to understand you got to put in some hard work. You would think that would be common sense. Nap, sure it. Now, there is a reason why this is not as common as you would think. And we're going to go back to um, the turn of the century. And there was this book called uh, uh, Le Crowd, or in American, The Crowd. And it's uh, The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind by Gustave Le Bon. And it was going to set in motion a whole bunch of stuff. Now, Gustave Le Bon was, of course, French. And you got to remember, his history is of a people who have no problems, the mob mentality of beheading and taking down officials and standing up for what's theirs and what they think they're owed and those types of things. They really um, believe in protecting uh, their personal time. And uh, there is a definite line of demarcation between personal time and work time. And, and and so they were willing to fight for that. So he does this study of the popular mind and uh, he comes up with concepts that will go on to further uh, be streamlined into what we now think of as groupthink and herd mentality. And so after that, you've got this world war that happens at the, uh, the early part of the um, the uh, 19th century. So, I mean, excuse me, 18th, oh, I can't say it, 20th century where you, uh, between, what is it, uh, 1914 and 1918, the world goes to war, mainly Europe. Uh, 
And then when everything shakes out, you got these big four that emerge. Um, and that's going to be um, Britain, France, the U.S. and Italy. Yeah, Britain, France, U.S. and Italy. Now, y'all bear with me because I'm telling y'all this story off the top of my head. A lot of it, I should have made a lot more notes. Um, but it's just important. So rock with me, stay with, with, with me, and you're going to um, see how you need to remember this if you if you if you've forgotten and if you haven't, I want you to have that aha moment because it'll save you. Okay, so you've got this this book, The Crowd, a study of the popular mind by this Frenchman, um, right before all this turmoil happens. So after the turmoil, now this is important. After the turmoil, then you have these uh, these minds, these U- U.S. minds that start looking at. Um, the aftermath of a great world war. So in the 20s, now this is only a few years after the world war has happened. You got this guy, this journalist, Walter Littman, who has seen a lot. And he comes up with this essay, which is turned into a book called Public Opinion. And in this, he starts talking about, you guessed it, the gullibility of the crowd. You see, in the in the crowd, that study, uh, Gustave Le Bon was starting to look at how people can behave differently uh, than they um, in, differently individually than they would in a crowd, and how you can sway people and how you can move people if you get enough of them. So, you know, and I don't know if 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 he was exactly trying to uh, go back and um, explain the French history of how they would engage in fighting for their liberties and those types of things. He does make mention of it in the book, but I don't want to put words in his mouth that he was saying that this is why it happened. So he he goes on to make this discovery. Walter Littman, um, and yes, I'm going to have these links in the book. I mean, excuse me, in uh, the show notes. Walter Littman picks it up and he goes with this public opinion. Now, if you're reading it with a 21st century mind or um, uh, eye, you're going to see a lot of blaring stuff that is just cuckoo for cocoa puffs out there. I mean, Walter Littman actually says that people, and he doesn't even talk about uh, just uh, public uh, crowds. He talks about individuals. And this is what he says. He says that the average person is too stupid to be allowed that much power. And because of that, you need to have a certain amount of well-educated elite to give them the policies and to uh, give them what to think. But this is what he started to allude to. This is public opinion. He never said that public opinion was real. He said you can manufacture it and make it seem like people believe this if you tell enough people that this is what the public believes. And so public opinion was always meant to be what the elites and the well-educated would disseminate out to the public to make them think it's their idea. So then, not even two years later, I think it's like one year later, um, Bernays, Edward Bernays, and I'm, I'm going to really talk a lot about Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays, who is the double nephew of Sigmund Freud on his mother and his father's side. His mother was Bern, um, Sigmund Freud's uh, sister, and then his father uh, was um, the brother of Oh, Sigmund Freud's wife. So yeah, it's all like that. So uh, Edward Bernays 
comes in and then he kind of like codifies everything and makes it a big jump. And they call him the father of public relations. He actually came up with the term of propaganda and they had to uh, do a PR, public relations overhaul of propaganda to turn it into public relations after um, he put this information out and was doing all this work for corporations and governments and come to find out Hitler is reading his quintessential book that um, I think you should read it if you can get it on your list and it's called crystallizing public opinion um they found out that hitler read this and his lieutenants and that's how they were able to sway a whole nation into the things that they would go on to do 20 years later in world war ii yeah so like i said all this stuff is going on so you've got this um study by this french guy about the liberties and the and and the crowd and the and the machinations of the crowd. Then you've got Walter Lippmann talking about public opinion and how it can be manufactured and how uh, you have uh, these people who who are are too lazy to be mentally uh, dexterous enough to read and understand and then and that you should not give every person the liberties that you would those who have been responsible enough to learn things and then you have Edward Bernays the um the nephew of Sigmund Freud uh, who is American but is uh um goes and sees his uncle his uncle is his favorite over the summers and is influenced by Sigmund Freud and the study of the mind and he takes it i mean there are so many different things about edward bernays and his last name is spelled b e r n a y s um that people don't really understand the reason why in a, it used to just be america but in the world now that uh, they consider bacon and eggs breakfast is because Edward Bernays came up uh, with this through study and um, he would go on to be the person who inspired public opinion polls where they would bring a set of a subset of, of people in and give them something. And based on how they reacted to it, that's how they would market it. I mean, he was responsible for a lot of this, a lot of this stuff. Ogilvy and, um, and all of the great marketing minds sat at his feet <laughs> And learn how to do a lot of this stuff. He is the reason why women smoked. He took a suffrage movement. And on Easter Day, during the famous Easter parade in New York, paraded around some influential young women with cigarettes um, because he wanted to explode the market share for a cigarette company. And when people got pictures of them smoking these cigarettes unabashed and free and in their flapper, uh, because it's in the 20s, in their in their flapper gear, they were the it girls. And thus, boom, all of a sudden you've got all these women who used to never, never smoke. Now they're smoking. Um, he is the reason why in the 50s uh, we had the nuclear family with you have to have a house. They were moving out of tenements and you have to get a car every two years. They, I could go on and on and on about um, the way he did things commercially. But it was not even that. It was the way he did things with governments 
that you need to understand. And it's that propaganda side. And like I said, this book or this idea of public opinion, of how the group thinks and the crowd and all of these things kept moving because not only did they believe that people uh, were not going to be uh, intellectually strident enough to uh, understand They also looked at the fact that people were lazy enough in their mind to believe the age old story that you can get something for nothing. And so they used the gullibility con to con people into believing whatever they uh, wanted. So let's let's move on from the 20s now. Bernays lived until almost 104. He didn't die until the uh, early uh, 2000s. So he was able to see a whole bunch of stuff go through. And of course, he was remorseful for what happened with uh, Germany in World War II. And uh, but he he still never said, oh, um, I think that, um, you know, people deserve a, a better rap because People kept proving him right over and over again of how gullible they are and how they will spend a lot of money to avoid work or avoid having to be responsible for their own learning. And so he helped a lot of politicians graft a lot of policy. So that's the part I want to talk about now, policy and propaganda. Okay, I'm hitting a lot of peas. I hope this isn't popping. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to actually put um, Bernays' quintessential work uh, crystallizing public opinion in there. I'm going to put a uh, public opinion by Walter Lippmann in there, and I'm going to put the crowd of uh, the study of a popular mind by Gustav in there. But I'm also going to put in a wonderful BBC uh, series uh, called The Century of Self, where it just kind of is a history of Bernays and his influence. So you can see just some of the stuff. But I would encourage you to please read, at least read Crystallizing Public Opinion by him. He does have other works, but this is the one that will really get you a good understanding. And it's fairly easy to read, you guys. Okay. So now, I'm going to talk about this, and this is called the Overton window. Now, the Overton window uh, was developed um, by a a man uh, who uh, is at the forefront of group uh, of of think tank um, policy for uh, for for politics and things. Um, he's deceased now. He was killed in an accident, but um, he did a lot to help form that. And even with his ability to try to show uh, politicians how to be more responsible to the people uh, and to get good policy out, you can still see the thumbprint and 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 of uh, of Edward Bernays all through this. So. What um, Overton talked about uh, with regards to uh, developing policy, even when he was trying to be good and be right, because, you know, we we can ruin anything. Um, He talked about how the average mind is constrained to only a few paths of thinking. Remember, Bernays. Lippmann, Laban, and so many others talk about this very thing, how the jokey public is lazy in the mind and they can't handle a lot. So because of that, he said that what you have to do is you have to use these ranges. If you know that you want the policy to be X, Y, and Z, you've got to start where where they are and you got to use gradual uh, implements to uh, move them to that. Or, and 
or you can use outrageous implements so that when you give them the policy, it will be acceptable. So he has this famous uh, illustration. If you just Google it, you'll see it. And uh, it's called the Overton window. And what this window is, is it's like, think of a vertical line and think of, uh, I, I don't want to use the prices, right? Because a lot of people around the world might not know what I'm talking about, but um, there, there is this gauge um, on this line that if you move it up or down, you can uh, figure out where you need to go to get what you want. And, the thing, and the reason why I'm mentioning the Overton window is because the Overton window did not stay in um, politics. It jumped the fence and now it's, per, it's pervasive. So what the Overton window has is uh, it, it uses uh, different levels of uh, middle of the road uh, to outrageous. And how they have it is, is whatever you want the policy to be, that's where your middle of the road is. And so moving it up or down is going to be the same, but you're going to have where they say more freedom for the people or less freedom. In, in the way the Overton window works is Say, for instance, you want a policy and you want to uh, get it passed and it might seem like um, the people can't handle it. Because remember, they only have a few ways of thinking because, you know, the average uh, person is not that rigorous in expanding their ability to think. So what he would do is he would set it up and he would think of what is what what is uh, popular. So you have policy in the middle. Then on either side of it, what's popular for those on the left or the right? What's Then the next step will be what's sensible for those on the left or the right. Then outside of popular and sensible, what is just acceptable to the left or the right? Then we would move to what's radical. What gets them like, ah, you're moving a little too farther, you know, than I'd like. And then outside of that is what is the freaking unthinkable. Now, you would think that he would start with what's popular to get people ready for the policy on both sides. Nope. What the Overton window would do is they would play with those outliers. They would do things like advise people to work on the minds of folk by putting things out that are either radical or unthinkable. So that when you produce your policy that's steps below that, they're like, oh, that's fine. So when you see things like, um, and I don't even want to give examples because I, I don't even want you to get that in your mind, but just think of something that's totally outrageous, totally beyond what you would think you could get away with. Uh, because remember, it's appealing to the left and the right side of things. And I've, I've talked about the middle ground and polarity. So just think, you know, think on either side of the coin. They would do that. They would allow uh, P, um, incidences of that to occur, to be publicized and those things. Now, mind you, he told them, do not work on people's policy. Do not work on what they think of politically. You work on how they think and you move the over, you move the window by exposing them to what is radical and unthinkable so that when you come back and you want to move it just even down to what they used to only be willing to possibly accept, now you've moved it to where, oh, that's just normal. Because it gives you um, a, a de-escalation 
of what they saw. So when you hear these salacious stories of uh, they have robots that are going to uh, explode uh, countries that refuse to do X, Y, and Z with the carbon footprint. I'm making all this up, you guys. Uh, people are like shocked, like that's unthinkable. That's genocide. That's whatever, whatever, whatever. So if they wanted to say a policy where they will produce uh, extreme sanctions on these countries who have failed to do this over a certain amount of time, then you say, oh, that that's acceptable because they already let you think of the unthinkable. Whereas if they had only said, we're going to do this to these countries, you might have said, well, that's not right. That's that's too punitive or whatever. And so there is manipulation uh, through this Overton window. Like I said, he meant it for good. But now I'm hoping that you can start to see how a lot of this uh, has exploded to where people outside of politics can get you to believe and accept stuff that you never would have. And it's not days, months, or even hours. It can be done in seconds where you show the outrageous, the unthinkable and the radical, and you get people to move to where they would have never accepted this before. But now because it's a de-escalation, there you have it. That's how you can have people get radicalized over the internet in, 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 moments. That's how you can have people give away their their life savings to people they just met or never met through the internet or even just through an email um, because the gullibility is there. And I want to share this with you guys because it's been there all along. People have put it into to, to writings, into knowledge. And I just really kind of want to just say, hey, we have these things. We have these tools. Um, you know, P.T. Barnum didn't have to tell us the stuff that he did, but he did. Um, in in that famous statement, a sucker is born every minute. A lot of times people think that he's saying it as a ha ha ha, I got you. No, he's a lot of times if you read his works, you are understanding that he's like, I can't fix it. So I'll profit from it. Um, now, I am not trying to hold the pom-poms for P.T. Barnum, but there is some validity in uh, what you hear from P.T. Barnum, what you heard from uh, Gustave Le Bon, what even you could read with Walter Littman and Edward Bernays, and on and on and on it goes. So this is the part one of the gullibility con that I wanted to talk about. My time is up for today, but I'm sure thankful for yours. What I want you to do is I want you to like, subscribe, rate, review, and comment and share uh, this. And thank you so much for continuing to support us. In our show notes, you'll find different in various ways. I actually want to thank those people who have been sending me Cash App and Venmo. Uh, thank you. Wow. And uh, continue to support us through Amazon. Uh, at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. And guess what? I'm going to see you tomorrow with part two of the Gullibility Con. This has been Michelle Spiva for Wisdom Smack. Mwah! And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, 
Please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.